Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. So my name's Stephen Baker. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Pastor Killingsworth is homesick, so you can be praying for him. So we're taking a little break from Philippians, and I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13. This is God's word, it is eternally true. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. This verse is a benediction. It's one of the benedictions that you'll hear us as pastors um, pronounce over you at the end of every service on Sunday. A benediction, benediction comes from a word that just means a good word, a blessing word, a word of blessing. We shouldn't confuse benedictions with doxologies. Sometimes we pronounce doxologies at the end of the service, but they're different. Doxology comes from a Greek word that means glory word, a word of glory, a glorious saying about God or to God. We sing every Sunday what we call the doxology, right? That's what that means, it's a glory word, praise God above. The difference between a benediction and a doxology is that a benediction is spoken to men while the doxology is spoken to God. And you have doxologies all over the Bible. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, right, and to present you before his presence flawless and with great joy. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. That's a doxology. It's a praise word to God. But a benediction, a blessing word, is directed to men. Benedictions, you can see them all over the Bible because they have a particular form, right? Benedictions sound almost like a prayer, but they're not quite prayers because benedictions are not addressed to God like prayers are. They aren't prayers, but they sound almost like holy wishes. Now may, that's how they often start. Now may, may God bless you. I hope and I wish that God will bless you like this. But that doesn't really quite get at it either because benedictions are more than holy wishes. They are also exhortations. They carry the weight of expectation, of exhortation. They almost have the weight of command. And so we are responsible for these benedictions. When we hear them, we are responsible for them. 
you are responsible for this benediction in Romans 15, 13. In other words, whenever you hear this benediction, what do we say? Receive this benediction. You are to receive it. Not just let it kind of float past you, but you're to grab hold of it. Take it in. Own it. You're responsible to pursue its blessing. When the pastor says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not allowed to blow it off or to yawn it off or to shrug it off or to brush it off as some little formal nicety, this little thing that we, this ritual that we do at the end of every service that just kind of signals, okay, we're done now, go home and eat. You're expected to hear those words, to take them in, to hear them, to walk out of here filled with all joy and peace and faith and hope. Benedictions are designed to change us. You could say they're designed to align our expectations with God's. They're not wish dreams. All right? We're to take them in, take them on, bear the weight of them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look very carefully at these words in Romans 15, 13. They're rich, they're heavy, they're thick. You know, think of the fudge that your, that your mama makes. It's heavy and sweet and rich and good. That's what this benediction is like. And so listen carefully, chew thoroughly, slow down, savor these words. Look at it. Now, may the God of hope, now may the God of hope fill you, fill you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think of that. Think of it. Now may the God of hope, now just sit there for a minute. Let those words sink into you, the God of hope. What an amazing thing to say. What an amazing name for God, the God of hope. What would it be like for you to serve that God, the God of hope? The God of hope. Not the God of pessimism. Not the God of cynicism. Certainly not the God of stoicism. 
Those things are incompatible. He is the God of hope, not the God of discouragement, not the God of despair, but the God of hope. He is the God who invented hope. Hope is not the invention of I don't want to offend anyone. Hope is not the invention of little women, little old women, knitting doilies and things to hang on the wall. You know what I'm saying? Hope is the invention of God. God Almighty invented hope. He rules over it, he creates it, he commands it. And he gives it. He gives it. It's his to give. So what is it? What is hope? Well, think, think carefully with me for just a minute. Hope is made up of two things, okay? Hope is made up of two things. Desire and expectation. Hope is made up of desire and expectation. So you want something good. You don't hope for something bad. You hope for things that are good. So hope is made up of of a desire for something good, right? Coupled with what? With the expectation that you'll actually receive it. Hope is not wishful thinking. That's how we use the word. It's not what it means in the Bible. Hope is made up of a desire for something good and the full expectation that you will receive it. That's what hope is. Hope is the opposite of fear. Because think of what what fear is. Fear, when you're filled with fear, you're filled not with desire and expectation, but you're filled with disgust and expectation. Right? There's something you don't want. There's something bad that you do not want. You, you, you shrink from it, you hate it. It's the last thing in the world you want, but what? You're sure you're gonna get it. So fear is disgust and expectation. Hope is also the opposite of despair. Despair wants something good, right? You want something good. There's good to be wanted. There's good to be had. You want it. You long for it. Something good. But what? No expectation that it'll come. Not to you. That's despair. It's half right. There is something good, but not for you. There are a lot of Christians who live in despair and not hope. They know enough to know the good things. There's all kinds of good things. 
and you know those good things, but somehow you've convinced yourself that they're not for you, and so you live in despair. You want God's blessing, you want his assurance of forgiveness, you want the feeling. You want the feeling, not a bad word, right? You want the feeling of his presence with you. You want the power that he talks about all over the place, power to fight your sin, power to walk with him. You want all of that. You know it's there, but you do not expect him to give you those things. Instead, you despair. Of course, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, despair, if you're thinking straight, has to be your steady state. You don't expect anything good. Why would you expect anything good? Is the cosmos gonna give you something good? But we serve the God of hope. The God of hope. And the hope of a Christian is the longing expectation for all the good things that God has promised. The longing expectation for all the good things that God has promised. And God has promised a whole lot. Every page of scripture is filled with the promises of God. Scripture drips with the promises of God. Peter, in 2 Peter, calls them precious and magnificent promises. Precious and magnificent. Now, think about those words, precious and magnificent. When's the last time you used those? Are you, are you too grown up for words like precious and magnificent? <laughs> Good. All the rest of us are. Aren't we? We don't talk about things like that. We don't use words like that. We're afraid of words like that. Precious and magnificent. Now those words can be overused. Your, your, your cup of coffee in the morning is neither precious nor magnificent. but we should use them for the things that they're made for. Those words are made for the promises of God. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I, even I, 
am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Is that wishful thinking? It's a promise of God. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That is true. No temptation has taken you, but what is common to man? And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. We could do this all day. Precious and magnificent promises. Precious and magnificent. Do you value these? Do you brush them aside? Are they precious? Are they magnificent to you? These aren't Hallmark cards. These aren't sugary sentimentalities, you know, on your coffee mug. These are the precious and magnificent promises of the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You're not allowed, you're not allowed to disbelieve these promises. You're not allowed to. We are morally obligated to believe these promises. They are the word of God. They're not little niceties. This is the word of God. You're not allowed to disbelieve it. Morally obligated to believe the word of God. Now, I know that some of you can't hear them. You can't even hear them. I read to you from God's word, promise after promise after promise after promise, and it sounded to you like the adults in the Peanuts cartoons. 
That's literally, I mean, not literally, but that's what it sounded like to you. You didn't even hear it. Some of you are somehow convinced that that proves your superior godliness. How twisted is that? Because you're thinking, yes, 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 but you're reading all the good promises. Why aren't you reading any of the bad promises? Like judgment, promises of judgment, promises of wrath, promises of misery and hell. Why aren't you reading those promises? You going weak on us? Listen, can't you just humble yourselves? Sit under the word of God and be glad for it? Can't you let these precious and magnificent promises fill you with hope? Why are you so resistant against that? Of course, of course God promises judgment. Of course he does. He promises judgment. He promises wrath, hell, righteous indignation. He promises that. But here's the thing. Who does he promise it to? Who does he promise it to? Those who refuse to receive his promises of mercy. That's who he promises it to. If all you want to hear are God's promises of judgment and you brush off his promises of mercy, you are under judgment. The hope of the Christian is the longing expectation for all the good things that he has promised. All the good things that he has promised. That's what it means to hope. And God is the God of hope. So he says, now, may the God of hope, may the God of hope what? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Can you hear that? Can you hear it? This is what the God of hope does. He fills his people with joy and peace. He doesn't mist you. With joy and peace. He fills you with, with what? What does it say? Oh no. All joy and peace. Are you too grown up to believe that?
Do you want that? If you do want it, that's only half the equation. Do you expect God to do it? Because you can want it and not expect it, and that gets you where? Despair. Do you expect God to do this? Does the Apostle Paul expect God to do it for you? He must. Do you expect the God of hope to fill you with all joy and peace? Well, how does this filling come? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace through what means? In believing. In believing. There can be no joy or peace apart from faith. Unbelief always leads to despair. And again, despair is like, despair is the, the madness of the half-Christian. Does that make sense? Because again, you, you know there are good things to be had. But you don't believe it for you. Unbelief always leads to despair. And if you're filled with gloominess and unrest, gloominess, not joy, unrest, not peace, right? If you're filled with gloominess and unrest, you, you cannot have faith. Now, what does he mean by faith? Faith in what? Belief in what? This is not an exhortation. Faith is not positive vibes. Good feelings, positive mental attitude. That's not faith. Faith in the character and promises of the Word of God. That's the faith. Faith in the character and the promises and the Word of God. Not just faith in some cosmic reality that'll somehow work out well in the end. Bedrock certainty of God's character and promise and oath. When you believe someone, when someone gives you, what do we say? What do we say? He gave me his what? He gave me his word. I, I trust him, he gave me his word. We do this with men. We shook on it, I trust him, I take him at his word, right? I take him at his word. And what we're saying is I believe that man has a character, a good character, right? And when God makes promises to you and you say, hmm, I don't think so. What have you just done to God? Does God have to put it in writing? Does he have to? Does he have to like get a notary? 
Does he have to make an oath for you to believe him? Well, here's the thing. He did. <laughs> Look at uh, Hebrews 6. Put it up on the board, would you? The screen. Look at this. Look at Hebrews 6, 16. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, his word and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You have every reason to rest everything on God. It is impossible for God to lie. And if you think that his promises aren't true, you are in fact calling him a liar. He has made an oath. As if his word isn't good enough, no. He, he gives you his word and he says, no, I swear. Why do you still refuse to trust him? Are you wiser than him? Are you better than him? Are you stronger than him? You know better than him? Your character is better than his? He will fill you with all joy and peace, but only if you believe. And belief doesn't mean wishful thinking. It means just taking him at his word. So believe. Trust him. Cast everything on him. Why? What's the point of all this? What's the point of having the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing? The benediction tells us the point. All right? This is what you should walk away with every time you hear this benediction and listen for it in every other benediction. When your pastors pronounce this word of blessing over you, listen, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Why? So that you will abound in hope. The God of hope wants you to abound in hope. The point of your faith is joy and peace. The point of your joy and peace is hope. Not just getting by, but abounding in hope. And brothers and sisters, this, this hope is not an option. This is of the essence of our faith. You're not allowed to be hopeless. If you're hopeless, you're saying what? God is, in fact, what? 
what? A liar. Psalm 33, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. That means they don't call him a liar. On those who hope for his loving kindness. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. This is what you have to do. You have to take yourself by the collar, you know? What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Talking to yourself. What's wrong with you? You're in despair. What's wrong with you? Why are you in despair? Hope in God. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God. Blessings of God come to those who hope in him. Will you come to him? Will you believe him? Will you hope in him? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? What does he say? What does he say? Last line. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not talking about the thing, the kind of thing that comes naturally to you. Believing the promises of God with the confident expectation that he will do everything he said he will do, listen, does not come naturally to you. That's why it's hard. But nothing good comes naturally to you. Not faith, not joy, not peace, not love, certainly not the obedience that flows out of those things, and it does. And God knows this, and he gives you his Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Some of you glory in your moroseness. You know? You glory in your gloominess. You glory in your depressiveness and your cantankerousness. That's just how I am. And so you glory in your shame. You think that gloominess equals godliness. Where did you get that idea? That gloominess equals godliness. That hopelessness equals humility. Where'd you get that idea? It's perfectly and exquisitely and exactly the opposite. <laughs> you're so humble that you're hopeless. <laughs> 
So, so God is a liar after all. And the, the great picture of your humility is that you call God a liar. I'm a humble man. I'm a godly man. I'm a serious man. Therefore, I'm a gloomy man. All of you silly, frothy evangelicals, you talk about happiness. I don't have happiness, I have joy. For pity's sake. Uh. And then you claim to worship and serve the God of hope. Again, God is not the God of a certain personality type. He's not the God of chip, chipperness or chipper people. He's the God of hope. And he gives hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you'll believe. And so like I said at the beginning, you're responsible for this benediction. When you hear this benediction and any other benediction, Whenever you receive it, don't let it slip through your fingers. Receive it. Grab a hold of it. You're responsible to pursue its blessing. You are not allowed to blow it off. You're expected to hear these words. Walk out of here filled with all joy and peace and faith and hope. Or at the very least to know that this is the work you have to do. You're not allowed to ignore the benedictions of God because God is exhorting you. He's calling you to faith and hope and peace and joy. You are not above all of that. It does not make you a serious Christian to ignore all of that. It makes you a puny Christian. So, hear it. Receive this word, this blessing word. Walk in it. Walk in it. God will be glorified if you do. God will be glorified if you do. Because He's the God of hope, not the God of gloom. Let's pray. Dear Father, would you please uh, open our eyes to see and believe the wonderful things in your word, to believe them as true for ourselves.
and to live out of it, to live on it. Just like we're about to eat this meal together, let us live on it. Let us live on the promises of God. Please, Lord, fill us with joy and peace as we believe you. May we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.